your Van Seas Weekly. The home for info and insight on the Vancouver Canadians and all Toronto Blue Jays minor league prospects. Hosted by Greg Ballack and Charlie Kasky. Welcome to the first episode of Your Van Seas Weekly. I'm Greg Ballack and I'm excited to get this thing going. We have two guests in the studio. Uh, I do a little intro here to start it off just so you know who we are and what's going on with the podcast for the rest of the year. Uh, I'm Greg Ballack. Uh, joining me in studio today, we have Charlie Kasky of Your Van Seas for the Vancouver Sun. How you doing, Charlie? I'm well. I thought I was a co-host, not a guest, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, we'll work that out uh, after this. Um, we'll see <laughs> if we'll have you back or not. I'll, I'll decide after. <laughs> uh, and then we have Ewan Ross, who uh, you may also know as Men Talk, I guess, is how you pronounce it? That's correct. <laughs> On Twitter. Uh, he's pretty well known there. And you have your own podcast as well. Yeah, I host the Blue Jays Plus podcast and also operate BlueJaysPlus.com. And they're very well known for being a good prospects, you know, talk show, I guess you could say, and, and website. So We like to focus a little bit on it, but a little more well-rounded, not quite just the prospect. Well, I figure you're a better guy than uh, than most to bring on for a, a show that's going to be all about the, the recent draft that took place for the Toronto Blue Jays. And, you know, this is your Van Seas Weekly, but... Uh, we're all Jays fans here, and we, we will discuss you know uh, all the different prospects around uh, the entire organization, and including the new guys that just got brought in, uh, and uh, you know news and updates about New Hampshire Fisher Cats, um, you know all Buffalo Bisons, all all throughout the organization. Lansing, um, you know, I'm not going to shy away from any of that. Um, myself and Charlie will be uh, you know throughout the year we'll have access to the Vancouver Canadians, so you're going to hear interviews. Uh, with a lot of the players and uh, some of the coaches as well. And today we actually have an interview set up with one of the coaches. And um, who did you talk to, Charlie? Who did you tell, tell the people who you uh, spoke with? I spoke to the legendary pitching coach, Jim Sykowski, who was the pitching coach for the Seas for the past three years. And it's not on this interview. It was actually on the first interview I did with him. He was slated. He was told by the Blue Jays that he was going to be back in Vancouver, um, November, December last year. But then they had a bit of a, a reshuffle with, I can't remember the exact name, went up to the Blue Jays and they, uh, New Hampshire opened up. So I think January, he said, he was told he was off to uh, to New Hampshire. So we're going to have a good discussion with, with him. We'll put that in later in the show. Uh, I also did uh, an interview with Handsome Monica, who uh, some of you may have <laughs> seen his name around Twitter. Uh, unfortunately, he didn't get drafted. He was a name that was... a. Uh, a big name, I guess you could say, uh, one of the best names of the draft. That was, there's a lot of lists that were going around, the best names, Fenway Parks and a couple other guys with some goofy names. But uh, I actually had a phone interview with Handsome. That's the most <laughs> Handsome himself was on the phone with me, and uh, I'll play that later in the show as well. Unfortunately, uh, I recorded it on Friday of the, the after the first day of the draft, uh, actually the second day of the draft. Uh, he didn't get drafted um, you know, after the, the entire thing. Uh, he was actually slated as a as a pretty good prospect, but he had committed to the University of Arizona. I think it's Arizona State. Arizona State, yeah. yeah. So he he's probably going to be going there and gonna. <laughs> he's only eighteen, so he, he has, it's ridiculous. Uh, it's ridiculous that he didn't get drafted, though. Yeah. I mean, you don't need to sign the kid. Draft him with your fortieth round pick, yeah. and you picked handsome Monica. That's <laughs> that's enough for me, right there. Yeah, we we were having a discussion off the air of the optics of the draft, and um, you know why didn't Cleveland take. Johnny Manziel, Johnny Football, uh, why did he have to go uh, I think to the Padres in the 30th round, which is a bit of a, a dumb pick when you've had 
a few poor seasons in a row like the Padres had have had. But uh, the most boring baseball team in the league. There is nothing <laughs> interesting about the San Diego Padres. Yeah, if if any team doesn't need the optics of throwing away a pick, it's the Padres. <laughs> I guess you could say that. Um, there's a few other teams that might lead that list. But, uh, well, the Marlins do it all the time. <laughs> but yeah. All right. Well, like uh, let's let's get into the draft here, and um, you know, stop beating around the bush. Um, we have a couple guys here um, that know their their prospects. So, um, first things first, we have to get Jeff Hoffman out of the way. He was the ninth overall selection, the first pick the Jays had in the draft. Uh, a guy who was potentially slated a few years back uh, to be a possible first overall pick. It was a bit of a long shot, but he was in the discussion at least. Uh, and then he was struck down with a Tommy John surgery this past year. Um, so, what do you guys think of the pick? What bit of a risky move? You know, you never know how a guy's going to come off the, a surgery, but. He's a guy that some say have been clocked, you know, in consistently in the mid '90s, which is pretty good for a guy that's going to be straight out of out of college. Yeah, he's a really interesting pick because before his surgery in May, he was probably the third pick in the draft behind, at the time, Carlos Rodon, who fell to three, and Brady Aiken, who wound up going number one to the Astros. Uh, Hoffman sits 95, can touch 98. This is all before the surgery. And his curveball is really his carrying his carrying pitch. It might be you know one of the two or three best pitches in the draft. Um, <clears throat> you wonder about the the only thing that makes this pick questionable is the Tommy John surgery. Mm-hmm. He, they never would have had a shot at him. And considering that the Jays had two picks in the first round, they were the they were the only team this high. It's it's a risk that they can get away with more readily than other teams would have. I think that's that's the big key is that they had that sort of hedge by having the 11th pick. And, I mean, I read somewhere that they'd scouted virtually every start of his, every appearance. We were talking off air how they'd, they'd probably scouted him in the Cape Cod League prior mm-hmm. to that as well. So they knew what they were what they were getting. They, they knew he was a top-tier talent. Probably wasn't going to fall to him at nine, but they'd done their homework on him. And, I mean, this is a, a throwaway comment on, on my behalf, but... You know, with the amount of minor leaguers, Clinton Holland, Tom Robson, we think Roberto Osuna, who's on his on the back end of of his recovery, they've got experience. So hopefully, their medical staff w- can get him into Florida, and and you know they they know what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, you hope and and to get him back to what he was before. That's one way to look at it. <laughs> well, it's, it's or they're a, terribly biomanic- biomechanically, and I know your co-host is uh, is probably kicking himself. Yes, that's true. <laughs> it's a risky move, whatever way you look at it, but it, it seems like it's worth the risk. When, when you look at a couple of things, the fact that the Jays had two picks, 9 and 11 in the draft, um, and you know the fact that they have such a deep talent base already, you know they, they lost a little bit after the, the Dickey trade in their, in their talent pool of their prospects, but... The Jays, by far, are still a, a pretty good team when you look down at their their minor league rosters. They look to be about tenth right now in the league. If you still consider Marcus Stroman to be a prospect, which I'm sort of shading not to at this point, because man, he looks kind of good. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I would actually argue that while the second pick made it easier for the Jays to draft Hoffman, this any team who was picking number nine, I say, should have taken Jeff Hoffman. He is an elite talent that you just don't get a chance to to see very often. Um, in, in my opinion, this is the best player that the Jays have brought into their system in at least a decade. Unfortunately, the last guy that came to my mind was Travis Snyder, and we know how that worked out. <laughs> but Hoffman's probably even better than he was, so at that point, you're going back to 
you know, Roy Halladay to get to comparables for him. And you just can't get that kind of talent. And with Tommy John being so prevalent, you see, you know, 80 to 90% come back fully. So you, you push them out a year, you treat them more like a high school pick instead of a college guy. And you just go from there next year. It's like having two picks. And you see a lot of people that say, you know, oh, he must have mechanical issues if he's having Tommy John surgery at such a young age. But a lot of the scouting reports you look at, the guys have said, you know, his his mechanics are actually pretty good. You know, he has a bit of a wonky delivery. He has a, like a low three-quarter arm slot when he delivers. But a lot of the scouting reports I've seen have, have actually kind of said it was a bit of a fluke. He, he actually has a pretty decent mechanics for a guy his age. Yeah. He doesn't I'm, walk a ton. You look at his stats, he doesn't have a ton of walks. The, the, I'm not the uh, on my on my podcast. I, my co-host is a biomechanist, you know, at, at, at much better than I am. But you'll basically see any pitcher have biomechanical issues, mm-hmm. and no one really agrees. He doesn't have the type of glaring red flags that you worry about. There's there was a guy taken later in the draft, Eric Fetty, who went to the Nationals, who also had Tommy John surgery. And even before he had it, you were seeing these these red flag concerns come up. That's not the case with Hoffman. Yeah, I don't think it's always, you know, biomechanics that you're looking at. I mean, when I spoke to Jim, I asked him about it, you know, if, if there was anything that the organization had said to them from top to bottom of, of, of stuff to look at. And the first thing he said was, you know, like a lot of people are saying, I think Dr. James Andrews mentioned it, you know, it, we're so enamored with the radar gun these days. And, you know, these kids pitch year-round. And, you know, with all the prep and all the, the showcases and stuff like that, it's not necessarily the mechanics. It's It could just be overuse at a young age, the, and the elbow's just not ready for it. So who knows? There, there is an interesting piece because the guy who was the first pick in the draft this year, Brady Aiken, he, he actually took the entire winter off, and he's done it for the last two years. So you're starting to see that change somewhat, mm-hmm. and... I wonder, because he, he exploded this year. He jumped about, you know, 20 places in the draft. And I'm wondering to see if that might be a trend going forward, but obviously not relevant with Hoffman at this point. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're a guy that, that hits 90 to 95 consistently, like that's got to put stress on your arm no matter what your mechanics are. Yeah, th- there was a guy in this draft, Tyler Kolek out of Texas, who went number two to the Marlins. And he reportedly hit 102 pretty regularly out of Texas. He's 6'5", 250. He's 18 years old. I mean, this is just a freak of nature. But the re- the only reason he was a prospect was because of that fastball. And if you look around the major leagues this year, you see that, you know, six of the top 10 guys have gotten Tommy John surgery or top um, velocity-wise. And I'm, I'm reluctant to take someone who is just reliant on that fastball and not the secondary pitches. Well, let's talk a little bit about the, the signability, I guess. You know, he's a 21-year-old Hoffman uh, coming out of college. Had Tommy John sur- surgery, is he going to take whatever he can get at this point, or is he going to put up a bit of a battle? It, it's You know, you never expect to see the college kids not sign, but is is it going to be slam dunk, done well, deal? We saw this a couple years ago when the top pick, Mark Appel, fell in the draft because of signability issues, and he wound up going back to school and then wound up being the number one pick the next year. Um in Hoffman's case, that is not a realistic scenario because he will essentially be out for the entire year. So he would then be going into next year's draft with no innings pitched. There's, pr- If he was a number nine pick right now, what's he going to be at that point? Mm-hmm. So 
while I don't think he's going to be a cheap sign, I do think he's going to be under slot. And as we'll probably talk about later, they've spent some money that I think they're going to spend on both him and their next pick uh, later on in the draft. And he also, not not just we talked a bit about his fastball being 90-95, the scouting reports also say that he has pretty darn good curveball as well, plus curveball. Um, you know, his changeup, he uses it a little bit, um, but that curveball could actually be the make-or-break pitch um, for closing out major league hitters when he gets to this point. Um, have you have you read anything, either of you guys, on, on what his curveball is like? Well, I mean, I'm I'm going a lot on what Ewan's actually on put out there as well. I mean, it's, it's a major league ready pitch from what I can gather. It's absolutely yeah. filthy. I mean, it, the, pretty much the consensus two best pitches in this draft were Colex fastball that I mentioned earlier and Carlos Rodon's slider, which is, you know, out of this world. Um, Hoffman has a different style of breaking ball. It's a much deeper, it's a much more conventional curveball, uh, one to seven break with a lot of with a lot of depth in it. And for a guy who sort of emerged a little late, you know, he wasn't a top high school pick. Uh, he as a sophomore, he wasn't very good. Sorry, as a freshman, he wasn't very good. But he jumped up, and it was the curveball that was his carrying. You know, yeah, what made him so great. Mm-hmm. All right, well, moving off Hoffman then, unless you guys have anything else to add, uh, anything you've heard? No? Well, well, I haven't heard that he signed yet, no, so. <laughs> he, yeah, he hasn't signed yet. I saw Kylie, Kylie McDaniel was uh, projecting, um, who works for scout.com, uh, was projecting bonuses, and they were saying maybe about $500,000 with the savings. Well, they, it's interesting that they took him at 9 too, because it's the, the higher slot, right? And if they're able to sign him for less money... Um, that, that could boast for some savings down the road. I guess, is it a smart pick hey, taking him higher if they knew um, that he wasn't going to go at 10? I'm shaky on the knowledge on this because mm-hmm. I, Keith Law said this um, last week, but I've seen conflicting reports. He seems to be the only one who has, but I had seen this before. I just can't remember where. That the, pick that, the next pick that the Jays have was compensation for not signing their first-round pick last mm-hmm. year. The way this previously would have worked is that that pick would not be protected. So if they if they didn't sign him, they would not get a compensation pick. I've heard that that is not true and it's protected for two years because we can't give these 18-year-old kids any leverage in the draft. They need to get us paid as little as possible. <laughs> um, so I'm not sure. It, it, you could make the case that Hoffman, you want as much leverage with him as possible, so you'd want him with the nine pick, I think. You could make an argument either way, though. <laughs> I think they're not going to, you know, like you and you said, they're not going to offer him the minimum they would have to to get a pick next year is 40%. He's definitely going to sign for a lot more than that, mm. but he will go under slot. It's just a matter of, of how far. I also think they were worried about the Mets grabbing him in between their picks. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, either way you look at it, he seems like a, a quite a bargain at number nine, whether he's had the surgery or not. Um, he's not the type of talent you would expect to fall that that low in the draft. And nine isn't that low, but for, it says a lot about his talent. Well, and, it's, and it should be very interesting when he comes back healthy, you know, around May, June next year, which is when the short seasons open up. Yeah, hey, know, Charlie's it, doing the right kind of thinking here. <laughs> we're thinking, would we see him in Vancouver, or is he so advanced that they get a bit more aggressive with him given the year off? I don't. I would think they would they would bring him along slowly so we, we have a chance, but... Yeah. I Who think knows? I'm on the other side of you there, Charlie. So 2015 yeah. season tickets for Vancouver yeah. Canadiens go on sale <laughs> when? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> get ready. Wow, but about going. the 2014 team, that's where we get to the next pick because 
I think he's ticketed for here. Yes, the name Max Pentecost. It's a good name, too. It's not quite a handsome Monica, but it's pretty good. I, I've, I've seen hashtag Pentecostal going around. In, in if the we're Blue talking Jays. the all-name team, I still think the Blue Jays picked a great one with Aaron Attaway. <laughs> Attaway, Aaron. Oh, took, Attaway. Yeah. <laughs> Attaway. Took Zach Pop, too, wasn't there? Uh, yes. Was Zach the Popery yeah. and Grayson Huffman, who, of course, went to Grayson uh, <laughs> County College uh, or whatever it was. I still think the best name in the draft is Aaron Nola, whose brother and himself <laughs> went to Louisiana State, uh, which is just great. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. And and if you look later on in the draft, the Jays took someone from something Pentecostal High School, which... I can't dismiss as a coincidence. That's clear signals right there. <laughs> well, Max Pentecost, you know, fans in, in Toronto, Blue Jays fans, are, are still trying to wipe their memories clean of, of Aaron Sibia. And, you know, just, just, just left a bad taste in the mouth of, of everyone um, that watches that ball team. And Navarro's done an okay job since he's come in. You know, he's done nothing spectacular, but he's when he's up against what uh, Aaron Sibia's numbers were last year, it's not hard to put up something better. Um, so the fact that they went out and grabbed a catcher with, with their second pick um, was sort of intriguing to me. Um, but again, it's another sort of safe pick. It's, it's a guy, he's 21 years old, probably going to be able to sign him. You know, who knows how much for, but yeah, he'll be signed. He'll be signed. Um, and he's, he looks like a good athlete. He looks like a guy who will, who will be a serviceable major league player. Maybe not a superstar, but a guy who, who down the road could take over for, for a guy like Navarro and, and end up being a pretty pretty good major leaguer in, in maybe three four years. You know, if he he could move, he, I think he might be able to move even quicker than that. But yeah. if you look around the league, there are some positions that are just always terrible. You know, growing up in this market, the Mariners always had a terrible left fielder, just forever. It was Buner, Griffey, and whoever. For the Jays, <laughs> it's been catcher. The Jays had Ernie Witt in the '80s, and since then. It's just oh, a, Buck Martinez, and he's still with us. <laughs> you can't get rid of him. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's just a black hole of nightmare. And Pentecost is—he's a really well-rounded player. He—he's a guy who stole his twenty-second base uh, yesterday as he was eliminated from the College World Series or the playoffs or whatever. And he's only been caught twice, so that's a catcher with plus speed, and you don't—you never see that. Yeah. Um, his bat isn't an outstanding, he's not going to be, you know, Buster Posey, but he's going to be sort of a, you know, hit 285, have a good approach, hit double digit home runs. This is all you expect from a catcher. That's something the Jays haven't had since Ernie Witt mm-hmm. took off the jersey, frankly. <laughs> and he's, he's incredibly athletic. So while there are some flaws with his defense right now, everyone seems to think that he's, he's going to be able to stick behind the plate. And unlike the two catchers who were taken in front of him, who he didn't see the air quotes around catcher there, but uh, we'll yeah. call him Bryce Harper catchers. Alex Jackson is a Bryce Harper catcher, a hundred percent. So Pentecost was the best catcher in this draft, and that's the other thing. All the scouting reports are saying this is a guy that has the body type and the makeup to to stick at catcher. He's going to be a catcher when he when he eventually makes the major leagues. Hopefully, I even saw some speculation that if he couldn't stick at catcher and they had to move him off, he might be able to carry second base and as I think Charlie mentioned the other day to me Craig Biggio might be pretty much your most optimistic comparison for him 
Um, I read somewhere today, Russell Martin, so maybe he can move to short for a World Baseball <laughs> Classic or something like that. Can we get him a Canadian passport? <laughs> I like Bijou. I'll take the 3,000 hits. Uh, I don't know. Well, I think it was, like you said, it was interesting. I mean, after the whole Ricky Romero, Troy Tulowitzki draft, they've definitely stuck to their philosophy of drafting the best player available. Mm-hmm. But that being said, they were they drafted five catchers this year. So I think they, they've filled and organized, provided they sign all of them, and they, and they did sign their fourth rounder, Matt Morgan, today they have sort of filled an organizational gap as well. The one common thing he has with Hoffman, um, Pentecost, is that he had a really good Cape Cod League, um, which was something, again, we were talking about off-air. Um, two guys that had standout Cape Cod you know, performances, and the Jays end up taking with the ninth and 11th overall picks. Is it anything we should read into that, or is it just a coincidence? Well, for those of you who don't know who the Cape, what the Cape Cod League is, it's essentially the best college players who don't get selected to Team USA, you know, if they're American. Um, they go to the Cape Cod League. It's all in Massachusetts. It's a wood bat league. It's an incredibly low-scoring environment. And Pentecost was the MVP of that league. He... You know, he stole six bases, he hit six home runs, and he just destroyed the league. He hit 360 or something. And Jeff Hoffman did much the same. This is a big departure for the Jays because they usually go almost entirely high school. And I didn't think they were going to take Pentecost, but his Cape Cod League probably is is one of the biggest reasons as to why. Yeah, and... It's interesting that he hits six home runs because he isn't really a guy known for his pop. And then he switches to wood bats, and he has actually really good power performance in the in the Cape Cod League. He's known more as an average guy. Um, I think his power, I think, is is a little misunderstood because he, while he's not going to hit a lot of home runs, he is the type of guy who hits the ball hard consistently, mm-hmm. and so he's going to be more of a doubles hitter. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you say, this is the, that was a big, big performance because no one hits home runs in the Cape Cod League. It's you know you see ERAs at two under two all the time. Um, I think Jeff Hoffman was right around there as well. Uh, so he's he's really interesting. There's there's the, his style of player frequently gets underrated. And as I brought up, I think I think Jason Kendall, the former Pirates catcher, is his closest comparison. A guy who had speed. And a guy who late in his career was just terrible and hung on forever. So his reputation has <laughs> completely ruined itself. And so when I say this, everyone goes, oh, Jason Kendall, bleh, um, including someone in this room. <laughs> well, I was watching some video on, on Pentecost and I noticed he had a really smooth swing for, for a catcher. Very good you know, batting mechanics. And and then I read he had some arm troubles. He either had I saw the conflicting reports that he either had Tommy John or some sort of surgery for no, a broken broke, arm. He broke his arm as a high schooler, and I guess the Rangers, similar to what the Blue Jays are are doing now with Hoffman, except for in the high school sense, took him in the seventh round as just based on pure talent alone. And mm-hmm. from what I've read, almost signed him. It was very close before he decided to go off to college. And he wanted to go to a really small school, which was really surprising. And the interesting thing about Kennesaw State, where he went, which is in Georgia, they've only had five Major League Baseball players in their entire history. Um, and frankly, none of them are notable. Uh, but Chad Jenkins? Chad Jenkins is one of them. <laughs> um, you know, I think Willie Harris might be the most uh, accomplished. But the Jays could potentially have a Kennesaw State entire battery at, at some point <laughs> if Chad Jenkins sticks around long enough. Well, I, I like Chad Jenkins. Kudos to those that, that school, I guess. <laughs> like Buck was saying the other day, he was throwing bowling balls. 
Chad Jenkins. Mm. (laughs) I I saw an interesting quote about Pentecost from uh, the Blue Jays scouting director, Brian Parker, and he he was, uh, I think it was in Shai Davidi's article, uh, and he was just raving about Pentecost defense. And all the other scouting reports I read said, you know, he's he's okay, you know, he's he's decent, he can hold his own behind the plate, but Brian Parker just seemed to absolutely be in love with with what he saw behind the plate from from Pentecost. I think some of the criticism is of the now tools uh, that he shows. He, I, I, he's not the most polished catcher in the world, but he's one of the most athletic catchers that you'll see. So he's very athletic, blocking balls in the dirt. He needs some refinement on the finer points of catching, so framing, calling games, mm-hmm. those type of things. And his arm is probably one of the weaker points in his game, but it's not, you know, it's not something that's going to be a problem at the next level. He will be a capable catcher. Well, he has, he has a great, great mentor waiting for him in Toronto when Greg's on. He, he can... Yeah. <laughs> well, that, right you now, say that right. jokingly, but Salfasano is very well respected mm-hmm. within the organization Absolutely. as a yeah. catcher mentor, so I'm sure... He'll be the first person he meets as he walks in the door. Yeah, we went through an incident where J.P. Aaron Sebia, who was not a good defensive catcher for most of his career, he sat down with Sal Fasano last year in Chicago. And from that moment on, you could see changes in his technique, and Sal's very, very legitimate. Any other points on uh, Well, it'll be interesting to see. You know, I think he'll start in Vancouver, but we'll see how he, he adapts to pro baseball and how quickly he moves. Obviously... Santiago Nessie in, in Lansing, the level above, was very high, really, highly regarded, but is now repeating that level, not doing overly well. He's so, shown some flashes late, but yeah. I, I, I don't think they'd want to displace him, so I think they would leave Pentecost here. Yeah, mm-hmm. we'll see. We'll see. That's, what I'm, that's what I'm interested to see, because obviously, you know, some of the luster off the prospect shine of both Nessie and A.J. Jimenez is, mm-hmm. is, 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 they're not burnished right now, so... You know, Pentecost could very easily move move ahead of them on the Jays' prospect radar, catcher-wise, quite I th- quickly. I think he already is <laughs> the much better prospect. I am, I don't have much faith in mm-hmm. AJ Jimenez. Well, I know, Charlie, you always have your eye on you know what players could potentially be coming to Vancouver. Um, you'd say Hoffman is eh, maybe, and then Pentecost is is definitely looking good. That he fans in Vancouver have a chance of of seeing him. I, 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 I would put it at very, very high. I'm not going to bet my house on it, but what did I say? The other I will day? like. I will gladly bet your house. On uh, it. Yes, <laughs> you can bet my house for me. It was. It was funny actually. Um, Matt Hit, who was a catcher last year, didn't play a lot for Vancouver, was on the roster uh, a few days ago, and then I noticed today when I looked at the the Canadians roster, it's been kind of shuffled around a bit. Names are appearing on it and then disappearing. Um, he was off of it, and then I saw a tweet today that he's been released. So whether that's in direct relation or something happened, because I, I actually am in Twitter contact with Matt a bit, and he said he's been playing very well down in Extended, so we'll have to see what happens. They do have a couple other catchers who were in short season last year in Gabriel Sinas and Dan Jansen, who we might see here. But And Dan Klein is still in Extended. Yeah. He, he was in Vancouver and Lansing last year, so we might see him. Seth Connor just got put back on the DL up in Lansing, so he might come down, but... I'm I'm fairly certain we see Pentecost. Now here's the point in the draft where maybe a lot of the casual fans may have tuned out. Because <laughs> after those first two picks, you can't get much better. Let's than look that. at fun names again. Yeah. <laughs> Fenway Parks. <laughs> <laughs> but there was actually a very good pick at number 49 that the Jays took uh, in Sean Reed Foley, who was another potentially top 20 rated prospect um, that ended up going 49th to the Blue Jays. Um, you know, he's a big stocky pitcher. 
signability is the question mark with him. He's only 18, and he, he's going to college. But another guy that uh, tr- may turn out to be a, a, you know, again, it's a swing for the fences kind of move from, from the Blue Jays, but a very good top 20 talent prospect that went ended up going to the Blue Jays in this draft. So at, at Blue Jays Plus, which I'll just plug as much as I possibly no, can. No, you're not um, <laughs> We were tracking the the draft rankings of all of the people who were ranking these guys. And Sean Reed Foley was, uh, I believe he was the 18th overall pick, uh, talent in this draft. Not, not where they're going to go, just how good these guys think they are. And what I think happened was this draft was incredibly deep with high school pitching. So... I think teams saw that and opted to go with the safer college pick with their first pick, knowing that there was going to be some young flamethrower there in the second round. And at that point, a guy like Reed Foley was going to demand a fairly sizable bonus because he has a strong commitment to Florida State. And I think because the Blue Jays were able to likely save money with Hoffman, and I've heard similarly with Pentecost, though likely not as much, they were able to throw that money at um, at Reed Foley. It, it was really surprising to me that he slipped past the Cubs because the Cubs went cheap with their fourth pick and took a, a good player, but a guy who was probably a 20 pick, and that let them have tons of money. And they <laughs> went cheap with their second pick, which meant they had even more money, but who are you going to spend it on? So it worked out well that this guy wound up falling to the Jays. And I, no one really expected him to drop this far. So that was, uh, you know, a, another Hoffman type pick just later in the draft. And and the guy obviously that's not injured, so he's a, a bonus. But there is another question mark, and that's the signability. And you know, he, he's not a flashy pitcher. I saw reports that he's touched as high as ninety seven on the gun, but he usually sits low nineties, um, maybe ninety five on a good day. Um, so that's you know a pretty decent pick. Um, especially if his, his fastball has lots of late life, which is what they, they, they say it does. Um, you know, if they're able to sign him, how big of a win of a draft is this if the if the Blue Jays are able to go out and sign all three of these these players? The worry is is that in 2010, the Jays had like six picks, and everyone thought they knocked it out of the park. They took all these high upside guys and come four years later, and it's not really looking so hot. But... As of right now, I don't think another team had a better draft than the Blue Jays because it would not surprise me in the least if Reed Foley is the best player in this draft. He has, he has. This is a very typical Blue Jays pick. It is the projectable high school guy who needs some things to work on, but oh my God, look at that arm! What can we do with it? <laughs> um, and from what I read, he pounds the zone, yeah. which you know for. Numerous prospects, you guys know this as well as I do, in, in the Blue Jays system. Aaron Sanchez. The first thing we're looking at is walks walks per nine, or how many did they walk today? Alberto Torado, Aaron Matt Sanchez. Smarl. You know, <laughs> So to have a kid come in that throws strikes would be a welcome, welcome sight. And, you know, like you said, 6'2", 210 if he throws. But, you know, he's, he's a Florida kid. Committed to Florida State, so I'm guessing that's his his home Although, school. I did see Sanchez actually had a good game today. Sunday he was night. lights out today. Yeah. I've got I he's might have a report. Great games in a row, yeah. Well, we had we had a guy on talking about his start two starts ago, which was he he got one he didn't get a single out. He walked six guys. He hit someone. It was as bad as you could be, and it was 
Oh that my God, a, he might never throw a strike again. That was actually three starts ago. The start after that, he went six innings, gave up something like six runs, and, and we'll hear it on the on the Sikowski interview, so I won't say too much. He said he thought it was the best start he's had all year, even though... I heard the same from a scout. Because you, you have to, you know, you have to... We can't see from the box score what kind of, you know, how he's getting hit. And Sikowski said nobody, you know, he had a sure ground double play up the middle that went off his glove, broken bats, and... I mean, he'll he'll explain it better in the interview, but for three straight starts now, he's looked very good. So that's that's a positive. And Sanchez has been a guy that I've been you know fairly negative on, and I've the, the last two starts I've gotten reports that are very very promising. Yeah. Well, getting getting back to Reed Foley, a little off the board <laughs> yeah. here with Sanchez. I guess he's a little closer to making an impact, but um, you know Reed Foley, he's he's big for an eighteen year old. He's he's a stocky guy and. Um, I just I look at him. I saw some of the footage, and I see him as a guy that can eat up some innings. You know, he he's a guy that could potentially be a big arm for this team. Yeah, in which the, well in the future, but you know, judging from the, his his makeup and his body type, he just seems like one of those guys. Uh, does he project as as more of a starter or? Uh, well, I mean, what from what I've read, he, hope, he, right? he projects as a you know a three, a two, maybe even a two ceiling. So, mm-hmm. you know, whether you know he has much projectability left on his fastball, and we all talk about this, you know, who who knows? He's only eighteen, but he is you know two hundred ten pounds at six two, so he's probably not going to get much heavier. He doesn't need uh, much projection. No, you're right. No, he's he already kinda, throws kind of there. Nineties yeah. with you know up to mid nineties, so. Yeah, like like Roberto Asuno, I always I couldn't understand the reports that came out like, oh, he's at his ceiling. Well, he was really good when I saw him. So that's, if that's a ceiling, yeah, it, it, it it's pretty good, you know. <laughs> we'll take it. We'll take uh, the number three, so that J Hap doesn't have to start games anymore. Exactly. Yeah, but we well, might whine about that. The the, the <laughs> thing about uh, the thing about Foley is that he's got a really deep arsenal because he's got a, a really nice slider, which. Uh, there are some there are some clips online of his slider which are well, uh, unsettling. Well, um, yeah, the high school players are, they're just completely befuddled, aren't they? It's, you it's see funny. It, they're just yeah. We'll see you uh, later. <laughs> um, but so he he also has sh- he showed a curveball at the at the showcase circuit last year, just where you know, hey, I have this. Hey, scouts, look at it. Uh, and then he put it away. He has no use for it. They can't hit the slider. Why are you going to throw the curveball? And pretty much the same deal with his changeup. He's he he has a changeup. He just never needs to throw it. Mm-hmm. But the scouts have seen it. They've said that it it's there. So it's it's an average pitch right now or well, projects to be. I was reading about his curveball a little bit too and I I read somewhere that he he doesn't like using it because he thinks it clashes with his slider and and the scouts actually say it's such a good pitch that it could be the deal breaker if he just if he figures out how to use it. And when to work it in. It could actually be quite the deadly pitch. We talked to someone about this with Marcus Stroman because Marcus Stroman throws, you know, uh, it's tough to tell which of his breaking balls it is, but they are two distinctly different breaking balls. There's a slider and there's a curveball. And even from game to game, he will basically only be throwing one of those. And as he's come up to the majors, it's been the slider. Or wait, no, it's been the curveball. <laughs> see, that's the thing. Um, so you, you'll see this where they'll 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 pick the one pitch that's better, and unless you're the wily veteran that needs to bust out all your pitches because you've been in the league for ten years, because that happens to Blue Jays pitchers, um, you know he he can kind of pick the one that develops the best. Yeah, it's funny that you bring up Stroman now. He's uh, looks like a pretty good pick. Uh, another compensation pick that was. Uh, uh, yeah, this is something I meant to I meant to mention with Max Pentecost is 
Stroman was the compensation pick for Tyler Beatty, who got drafted 16 this year. Uh, and frankly, I'll take the guy in the majors right now. Yep. The Jays did the exact same thing with uh, James Paxton, who's now pitching for the Mariners. They took him a couple years back. Uh, I can't remember when. Um, and they got Noah Syndergaard for him. Uh, turns out Noah Syndergaard turned into R.A. Dickey. But um, that, that that worked out well for the pick. Um, with Pentecost, he's the compensation for Phil Bickford, which was a pick I didn't like at the time last year, and they didn't sign but in passing on Bickford, there was a, a high school catcher who was called one of the best high school catchers that we've seen in a long time, maybe since Joe Maurer, in Reese McGuire of the Pirates. So he's a nice player to sort of track with Pentecost to sort of see, you know, what did we miss out on? Who, who, what would have been the better way to go? Anything to add, Charlie? No. Sorry, I tuned out for a second there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, I guess you bring up Stroman being such a recent draft pick, uh, and he's already making a difference on the major league team, and it looks like he's going to stick here. Um, I guess fans of uh, in the baseball draft um, start to forget that how close a lot of these players actually are to making an impact. It's not like the NHL draft or the NBA draft, where the next year, you know, the top ten picks are all going to be playing in the league, making an impact. MLB usually takes a little more time to to develop, but you know, sometimes there are guys that make a, a quite a big impact immediately. Which which three of these guys, if they sign, do you think have the, the closest chance of making an impact uh, well, the, the quickest? Obviously, Hoffman's got the surgery to come back from. but As you were saying that, all I had was visions of DJ Davis still in Lansing and Michael Walker <laughs> pitching for the Cardinals. Sometimes um, it gets delayed. Just yeah, it's very delayed. Um, oh, geez. Yeah, I think Pentecost is, is the easy answer here. You know, obviously with Hoffman mm-hmm. a year behind him. Um and I think, you know, obviously with the injury, they'll take it slow when he comes back. Um, and then we've got high school, high school, high school after that, third, second, third, and fourth with, with Nick Wells and, and Matt Morgan. The Jays just don't take high school college players. I mean, mm-hmm. the first the first pick that Anthopolis made was Deck McGuire, who's miraculously turned it around this year. But since then, it's been all high school except for Stroman, which looks all right right now. <laughs> Um, I, I might go with Hoffman. Uh, I'm I'm that high on Hoffman that I think even with missing a year of development, I'm fairly confident that they'll send him to a full-season league next year. Maybe Lansing. I don't know that, obviously, but I'm fairly confident that'll happen. Uh, so, and he's so good that I think he's going to move. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a concern of how conservative they're going to be with his development. Well, we've seen it before, guys come into their first minor league season and are just absolutely lights out and they blow up and they go up through the minor leagues very quickly and make their way up to the top. It's just how, how Hoffman bounces back from his surgery is, is the question mark why you can't officially give make, say he's the he's the guy that's going to be the first to reach the majors because you just don't know how he's going to come back from his surgery. No, we've got but no idea, the potential yeah. is there that if he comes back from his surgery and he's lights out at Lansing and he gets called up to New Hampshire and he's, you know... Got a sub two ERA in, in New Hampshire. Who doesn't say that he can't make the team immediately yeah. after that? I mean, it, it's 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 obviously wishful very, thinking. It's but. very <laughs> premature to put any sort of timetable on this. But let's say he starts the year next year in June in Lansing, bumps up to Dunedin at the end of that year. This is absolutely at the fastest pace that he could possibly be on. He would then start 2016 at Double A and maybe get a September call-up. So 
earliest, earliest, we'd be looking at the end of 2016, mm -hmm. more likely a full year after that. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I think there's every possibility that we can we can put that sort of timetable. I mean, you, you have to remember Marcus Stroman came in his first season. He signed a bit later, was a reliever in Vancouver for two weeks, and then went to New Hampshire again in relief, and then had this 50-game suspension. So mm -hmm. had his development delayed even a bit more. They stretched him out in New Hampshire. And then sure enough, this year, it looks like he's in the majors to stay. So that's a very quick turnaround for a guy that – Everyone said he's undersized. Everyone said this. There's so many knocks against him. So, you know, Hoffman has got the injury, but if he's got the stuff we're led to believe, he could move just as quick. This is one thing. Charlie just mentioned that Stroman signed a little late. I think that was because they were in the NCAA baseball tournament and Pentecost was playing in that this weekend against Louisville and lost, which kind of sucks because you want to see your prospects win. But at the same time, he now is finished with school and he could sign as early as tomorrow. Otherwise, we would have been waiting for two weeks for the College World Series to start and then another week for it to be played. So you're put, you're butting up against Vancouver yeah. starting mm -hmm. and he wouldn't have been here on time. So like like Matt Boyd last year, you know, even after they went to the World Series, they gave him 10 days off just because he'd pitched so much. So, yeah, we'd be looking at, you know, mid to late July kind of thing. Blessing in disguise a little bit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so what about uh, what about the deeper in the draft after Reed Foley pick? Um, was there anything that stood out to you? You know, obviously there's a lot of flyer picks at that point where they just kind of take a shot at a guy that might sign, probably not. Um, was there was there any like solid picks that you that you noticed that? So there's two strategies later in the draft. The one that the Jays actually pioneered was to take the the, the way the draft works is you get a certain budget for your first ten picks, and they don't care how you break that up. You can give. $2, well, there's actually a minimum, uh, to one guy and the rest of it to everyone else. What the Jays started doing is they were taking college seniors and they were paying them 5000 bucks just to eat up uh, room to spend elsewhere. Th they didn't really do that this year. And they took a bunch of college juniors and a few high school guys. So it's a, it's a little atypical. But the the one guy that I would mention, he, he signed today, uh, catcher Matt Morgan uh, out of Florida, I think, a high school guy who, you know, not not the highest ceiling, but apparently quite a polished high school catcher, which is a rare thing. You don't see high school catchers very often. Um, he will be starting, you know, in the in the Gulf Coast League, but he's a he's an interesting guy to keep an eye on. Um, beyond that, uh, Tanner Houck. I think is how you pronounce that name. He was their 12th round pick who is a high school guy will be a tough signing, but if they do sign him, he's, you know, once you get to that point, you're you, there, the guys you're picking are erratic, but if they hit, he could be a, a front end guy because he's got, he's got a, a big arm. I was actually going to mention Tanner as well. I've read a lot of good stuff on him. Six, five, two fifteen. And interestingly enough, he was he's a got a commitment to Missouri, which is what Jacob Brents did last year, who the Jays took in the eleventh round, and nobody said they would sign. And sure enough, they got a deal done with him. So, correlation, I doubt, but interesting fact. Yeah, the uh, way I the way I looked at that pick initially was I thought that was insurance in case Sean Reed Foley uh, didn't sign, they could because they could spend their extra money there, but. The way I'm hearing, it's more and more likely he's going to sign. And I've seen questions about his mechanics, but you're going to have questions about something, and I'd rather it be mechanics than, than stuff at that point. And if you want to look at, at, at pure Blue Jays picks, the third rounder, Nick Wells, 
yeah. 6'5", um, And apparently, from what I've read, he actually added 40 pounds of muscle last year after training with his buddy who was, who's going on to be a college wrestler. Um, and added seven <laughs> How miles is an that hour a fair fight? His, <laughs> added seven miles an hour to his fastball. So, I mean, you know, this kid is is every scout's dream. Left-handed, 6'5", 180. Um, you know, obviously he shows fantastic work, work ethic if if he's in the gym every day, but you have to think that's a bit of a red flag. If he's put on 40 pounds of muscle and added seven miles an hour to his fastball yeah, on, this on, is on the stress on his elbow there. Basically my least favorite pick. Uh, and the not, not well specifically, but the s- style of pick. It's what they did with Phil Bickford last year is they took a guy who the only reason you're taking him there is because he spiked his fastball in his junior year or his senior senior high school year. Yeah. So to me, that's the guy humping up his fastball just trying to get drafted. It's a concern, and it's something that they keep doing, and they've had some struggles with it in the past. There were a few, like uh, Kevin Comer was one a few years ago that was a similar pick. Um, if there's only one of those guys each draft, I can deal with it. If, yeah. there's, a, if there's three or four, then you start getting worried. Um, the The other major guy that I'd mention is Keith Weisenberg, who they actually took in like the 39th round, one of the absolute last picks. And he's probably the fourth best player they took in the draft. Uh, he's a high school guy out of Florida who has a strong commitment to Florida State. Um, there's, you know, it's like a point zero one percent chance that he signs, but so you're he's saying there. there's a chance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh well, it's you know never a bad thing late in the draft to take a shot in the dark like that. You never know the the true story behind it, so you can't really judge, right? Your kid could have bad grades or something like yeah. You don't want to say it, but you know you never know. I've heard some makeup is. concerns with him as well. So well, yeah, and Anthopoulos <laughs> has said numerous times before the draft, especially when all those DVD articles came out about being the draft budget maybe not being as high as it, it was going to be. You know, he said that you never know with the, with these kids. They they have a number before the draft, but then they get drafted and they sit down with their parents and. You know the 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 sand is always shifting. So let's, what what they say before the draft isn't necessarily what what they're going to accept. Let's say his dad loses his job in the next two yeah, months. Yeah, exactly. He's going to sign, <laughs> or they're playing hardball. Like, they're just they're making it seem like they're a hard sign, but they're actually going to. This is know, what yeah. happened with future Vancouver Canadians first baseman Rowdy Telez. Yeah, and you know sometimes they they don't expect they don't really do the research. I guess they don't know how much they're expected to get and then they see this <laughs> the team approach them and and give them a, a you know a, a price point and their eyes light up <laughs> well yeah it must be a much tougher to say no when it's or you know when it's a physical check sitting on a table right. rather than this number that people are an agent or whomever that is giving them advice just brings back the tyler Beatty quote which was we value a vanderbilt education at more than 3.1 million dollars yeah. which <laughs> In my opinion, you you can't go to Vanderbilt if you're that stupid. Come on, <laughs> jeez. You can buy quite a few Vanderbilt educations with three point one million. dollars Exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, and they all get they all get their college education paid for yeah, if they, they sure get drafted do. and and sign anyway. So yeah, it's it's a very silly quote. And you know, I think Zachary Pop's dad, the Canadian that they took in the twenty third round, said you know, there's two ways you can develop. As in a major for to be a major league pitcher, one's riding the buses in the minor leagues, and the other one's going to the University of Kentucky. Which, <laughs> I mean, really? So they're not signing him, from what I can gather. He's going to the University <laughs> he of Kentucky. Really, he said that. Yeah, his dad said that. Yeah, he's from Ontario. 
Oh, so, so the, the long history of oh, wildcat ba- ba- baseball yeah. in Ontario. Maybe it maybe didn't mean he was being generalizing university baseball where they, they probably, you're right, treated a lot better than they are <sighs> at Bluefield, but... Uh, not to not to become a professional pitcher, they're not, because well, if no, you because look at... The, um, the pitch counts that these college pitchers oh, or the college it's managers, it's, it is absolutely insane that... And again, Sikowski says this in the interview, you know, they don't care. They're, they care about wins and losses. They don't care about the development like, like the pros would, so... The the test case for this is Carson Whitson, who was the 10th pick a few years ago to the Padres, didn't sign, and he got taken this year in like the 14th round because he blew out his arm and he's nothing. He's going to get $5,000 for playing baseball ever in his life. And he could have made seven figures. His kids never could have had to work again. Well, maybe that's a little strong. But yeah. um, <laughs> seven figures is as much yeah. now no. as, it, as it used to be. But... Point remains. Take take the money, kids. Yeah. Whatever advice they're getting, it's wrong. I uh, During that discussion, Rowdy Telez's name came up. Um, he's an interesting guy. Uh, another 30th round pick, I think you said, Charlie. 30th round pick last year that, yeah, like like you had mentioned, they, nobody thought they'd sign him. You know, which, was it last? Last, last, last year, yeah, last, last year. draft. And they saved a bit of money, like they did that whole college senior route. Um, saved some money and, and signed two high upside guys, Tellez and, and Jacob Prince that I mentioned earlier. Those were the big ones past round 10 that, that they got under. Sorry, I, was, I was really worried at the end of last year. I got some reports that scouts sat down to look at the Jays' guys and they put a non-prospect on Tellez without looking at his name, just like, ooh, who's this guy? He's nothing. And then this spring, I've heard the exact opposite, that he is the guy that Baseball America said had the most power in the draft, potentially. Um, so things are night and day this time this year compared to last. And well, yeah, the bat speed that the reports I've been getting from spring too is the bat speed is is difference. off the charts. You know, he's we may get to see it firsthand. Well, we will get to see it. Firsthand. We will get to see it firsthand. I'm pretty certain it's going to be right from the right from the off if it's not he'll be in bluefield for a month kind of thing we'll, we'll see him we'll, we'll talk about it in future podcasts uh, as we get closer to the canadian season but we'll talk about we're pretty close uh, yeah. we're pretty close <laughs> <laughs> uh, but as as we get even closer we'll, we'll we'll bring up as the names i guess start coming out um we'll, we'll sort of preview the the different prospects that are coming through vancouver and, and what to expect from them a guy like telez could be one of them could be, and I just wanted to mention quickly, I, I haven't written down what round he was taking in. So Tillez is 6'4", 220. He was the 32nd round. But yeah. He was 32nd, but this oh, year, oh. like in what, the 16th round, they took a guy, Ryan McBroom, out of uh, West Virginia Mountaineers, who's 6'3", 240, a right-handed hitting first baseman. The college player? Yeah. This is your LB Dansley this year. Exactly. <laughs> so that, that's my thinking, that he'll come to Vancouver as well. They'll split first base duties, maybe a bit of DHing, and you've got two humongous guys hitting from either side of the plate. So it could be a very interesting season. This is something that the, I mean, I'm I'm convinced that the Jays take really good care of the Canadians because they you know they they want this team to succeed. And last year, you know, LB Dancer, who was the MVP of the Northwest League, right? Yep. And he's not a great major league prospect. He's probably going to top out at AAA, maybe. But this is a guy who won a Northwest League title for the Canadians last year. And that's, I, I think that's why he was taken, for that express purpose. And you're seeing, if this is a guy that you identified, they take care of the Canadians. So uh, it, it was very apparent when they came for the luncheon, the hot stove luncheon in January, that you know they're, they're very high 
on the right of the Canadians, and and they they look to take guys on the third day of the draft. You know, college seniors that have had big career, and you know the the word that they use all the time. It's such a cliche, but makeup, makeup, makeup. You know, high character guys, and that that was the same as LB last year and Chaz Frank, who was the the mm-hmm. fans player of the year. Um, you know, and a couple of them will be back next year, Brendan or this year, sorry, Brendan Calfus, guys like that. So with a couple of the new guys from this year's draft. So it should be a... Yeah, the one of the guy that I'd want to identify is Gunner Gunner Height, H-E-I-D-T. That's the height, yeah. Uh, <laughs> who was a shortstop at Carl, uh, College of Charlton, who were a really small school, just like Kennesaw State, who got into the tournament and lost yesterday. Um, he will probably be moving off of shortstop, probably be a second baseman, which is not a problem because I think Franklin Barreto is going to be the second, the shortstop in Vancouver. So he he would be my pick, not not the second baseman they took earlier than this. I can't recall his name. Melton Ryan Metzler, Ryan who, Metzler, University of South Carolina, Aiken Div Two school. You know, basically, I'm calling him David Harris Mark II, who was played split duties with Christian Vasquez last year and came from the University of South Arkansas. The Scrappy Mule Riders. Guy. Very nice. They're not really, I mean, it's Ryan's 6'3", 190. I mean, he's a, yeah, but he's scrappy. He's not going to hit for a ton of power. He's going to make contact. Going back to your College of Charleston, Nick Wells, the third rounder, that's his commitment. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, so your least favorite draftee <laughs> yeah, could be I, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to <laughs> smear Nick Wells in that way. Height <laughs> um, yeah, to clarify what I meant about Wells, it, Wells isn't necessarily, I, I don't like him. I don't know much about him. I got to do some research on him, but it's the, it's the, it's the style. <laughs> well, Ewan, uh, it's been uh, great having you on. I, oh, I'm done. I implore people to go out and check out your, your site, Blue Jays Plus and the podcast. It's, uh, check out his Twitter handle, especially late at night. It can get <laughs> rather like tasty. Yeah. I don't sleep. <laughs> you like drunken ranting and, uh, okay. Maybe, maybe not that bad. No, it, it's pretty much that bad. Yeah, you're at Mentoc. Yeah, which is M-E-N-T-O-C-H. What's the story behind it? Okay, uh, Mentoc the Mind Taker is a old classic 60s cartoon, uh, part of Harvey Birdman, and he was revived in a ridiculous Adult Swim cartoon in the 90s. And yeah, I misspelled his name when I initially did this, so it's not actually how you spell it, which is really <laughs> confusing. <laughs> But yeah, that that's that's just been my moniker. Okay. Oh, it's the Avatar. I was gonna say it makes it sixties yeah. cartoon. You're not from the sixties. No, I'm not. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm thirty. But they 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 revived it. Okay. It was it was ridiculous and stupid. And yeah, I liked those things when I was twenty years old. Well, we'll forgive you for the name, and, and we'll have you on <laughs> whenever you feel like it. And uh, you know, I'm sure. Good stuff. Anytime, guys. Yeah, you'll Good be times. watching the Canadians. I'm sure, keeping an eye out. So. Yeah, uh, if if you want to check out our podcast, we have uh, this week. We should have a, a mechanical breakdown from Kyle Body of Driveline Baseball on the uh, at least the top two pitchers that the Jays took, and then we should have a scouting breakdown from C.J. Whitman of uh, Baseball Perspectives. So. Very good stuff. Yeah. Uh, look forward to having a, a bit of a partnership, I guess, as we move along. Absolutely. And, uh, anytime. Yeah. We'll, I think we're going to have Charlie on next week to talk about the Seas. So, yeah. There you go. Oh, vis-a-vis. We'll, we'll, be, we'll try to be a little more Vancouver Canadians focused. And, you know, we'll, me and Charlie have a little more access to the players. So we'll, we'll have, you know, interviews and stuff with the players. Um, so we'll have our own sort of niche, I guess you could say, Charlie. Yeah. I hope so. And, and judging by some of the prospects coming up uh, that we should see this year, do you know Spanish? 
because <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I might have to beef up a little bit. I don't know. But uh, apparently you're a legend around Nat Bailey. So maybe they will specifically learn English just so they can talk to you. I think that's, that's a little more of a likely. Who are you story. worrying about? Is it Barreto and Castro? And Toronto. Oh, shit. Toronto's coming down too. And I've heard Jairo Laborde. I think Jairo Laborde's going to be there as well. So, so the Jays might. Four top 15-ish prospects in the uh, system. Five, if you include Pentecost. Yep. Who, uh, and Telez. You might have to hire a translator, is what we're saying. Well, no, I'm talking about the Spanish, but yeah, oh, pro- prospect-wise, if you had Pentecost and Telez, yeah, it's, it's I mean, maybe Anthony Alford. We, maybe we DJ Davis, maybe. even though I've heard the opposite. <laughs> he, um, needs to, he needs to be sent down, by the way. He should be starting in Vancouver. He, he should be, but whether they do or not is I've is heard brutal reports yes, on we, him. We've had discussions on Twitter uh, about DJ Davis, and that's I think that's a, a segment in itself. <laughs> <laughs> Right there. I guess we should mention our Twitter handles too. I'm I'm at Greg Ballock, S T B A L L O C H S T, and Charlie Kasky is pretty simple. Yeah, it's the dumbest Twitter handle. I thought <laughs> I didn't know you were meant to be intelligent on oh, it. Oh man, at Charlie Kasky, C H A R L I E C A S K E Y. You're also a regular contributor to Team Radio, so people around Vancouver, if they're listening late uh, to Matt Baker's show, probably have heard your voice before. Yep, Friday nights on 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 late night with Matt Baker. So uh, yeah, we uh, have exciting. Ex- looks like it's going to be another exciting year in Vancouver, and uh, you know, Jays are having a good year. So if we talk even just about the Blue Jays, I think uh, we'll have some pretty entertaining. It's discussions. tough. It's tough to talk about a winning baseball team on a podcast every week. We we've it's been struggling. Be it's like, hey, everyone's great. Let's talk for an hour. <laughs> what can we bitch about, please? Colby Rasmus is injured. He must not be trying to come back. <laughs> Either way, it'll, it'll be a good se- a good season for the, the Canadians and a good uh, hopefully a, we can put together a, a solid podcast here for for people to listen to when they're bored. Well, I think uh, you can't go wrong with some of the players the Canadians are going to have this year. I think it's going to be a great season. Whether you know, I thought Lansing was absolutely loaded to start this year, and, and they're scuffling a bit. So prospects don't necessarily mean results, but mm. they'll figure it out. They'll be an entertaining product even if they don't win games. Exactly, right? yeah, and talent with. I think some of the college seniors that they've drafted and the returning players, they're going to be fine. I'm putting that bet down in Vegas for them to repeat four <laughs> times now. The four-beat. All right, Ewan, thanks a lot for doing this. Thanks a this. lot, guys. Ewan Ross, thanks for doing that. And uh, now we're going to get to the sort of the interview, I guess, <laughs> segment <laughs> or, or portion of the, the program. Uh, and, but uh, not we'll, in-house interviews, I Yes. <laughs> so the, some of the sound quality might sound a little different if we're uh, depending how we got the audio. But uh, I think during the years, most of it will be pretty good uh, when we actually have the players here. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, we laughed about this off-air that I'm not very technically adept. So <laughs> we hope the sound quality be good. Um, you did this interview coming up, Jim Sykowski, over the phone. I uh, did it over the phone. He was on his cell phone out shopping with his wife who had just arrived in New Hampshire for... <laughs> I guess she stays for like sort of the middle months of the season, two or three months. And uh, yeah, it's 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 a bit funny. You'll hear her voice every now and then. Ah, is this the way we go, Jim? I guess they were <laughs> on the way home from the mall or something like that. So excuse that. But other than that, I think it's a very good interview. Some very good stuff in there. We talk about Marcus Stroman, mm-hmm. Deck McGuire, obviously Aaron Sanchez, the, the number one prospect in the Jays system currently with New Hampshire. And I tried to get him to tell me who would be coming up from Dunedin. You know, obviously <laughs> Daniel Norris and Taylor Cole are having having great seasons down there, both mm-hmm. ex-Vancouver Canadians. Um, he wouldn't bite, um, <laughs> as he as he always never bites, so I don't know why I ask him. But Well, I'm just interested to hear it, because uh, if anyone you know knows these pitchers in and out, it's it's Jim, right? So he, 
he's a good guy to talk to about uh, pretty much any pitcher in the Blue Jays Blue Jays organization. Yeah, and he's a, he's a very interesting, very interesting interview. I I absolutely loved talking to him last year. In fact, I've probably midway through the season, you know, the media relations guys would come to me and say, "Do you want to speak to any of the players or or whatever after the game?" And I'd be like, "No, I'm okay." And I'd just head down to the to the clubhouse and go straight to Jim because. You know, he's been around, and, and like he mentions in this interview, you know, he feels, you know, Van- Vancouver, it's short season. They're a lot younger. It's a lot more about development. But now that he's in New Hampshire, he feels that his experience of playing, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, he'll say it in the interview, six, seven years of, of minor league ball, and he mm-hmm. got up to kind of AAA. This is where he was. So he's now, he feels he's, he's, he's very adept at sort of the mental side of the game, working with these guys that... You know, they may top out at AA, AAA. They've got a lot of older guys now on in New Hampshire that they've brought in as free agents to kind of ensure that they've got depth within the system, mm-hmm. you know, given how well the Jays are playing this year. Um, so, yeah, it's, I really enjoyed talking to him, and, and hopefully everyone enjoys, enjoys the interview. All right, yeah, here's Charlie with Jim Sikowski. A couple of questions I wanted to ask. Um, uh, Matt Boyd has been sent down in, in, in his two starts back in Dunedin, He's been dominant again, 15 Ks in, in 10 innings. You know, as a college pitcher at 23, he's, you know, he's probably more age appropriate to be up in New Hampshire. What I know he struggled a bit when he was up there, but what was the thinking of, of sending him back down rather than having work having him work through his issues in, in New Hampshire? Well, I think I'm not exactly sure of all the details on it. Uh, we are having, we had a numbers amount of starting pitcher in AAA, and, and some of them were having to come down, and uh, we were having guys being built up. Uh, Mr. Liz was one of them. Sean Hill was another one. These ex-major leaguers, guys who were going to help us possibly at the big league level this year. So if 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 I was a GM, and I'm not Alex and those guys and Dane and stuff like that, you know, we're we're trying to win at the big league level this year. And so we we brought in some guys who have some major league experience, building them up. And our Triple A roster was pretty much full of the Sean Nolans, the Marcus Stroman, um, uh, Liam Hendricks, uh, Ricky Romero, Chad Jenkins. There, there's plenty of you know starters right there on the cusp of being to the big league. But, but now we added in some guys. Uh, that we didn't know know about, but we wanted to push them and get them challenged. And Double A is a good place for them to be challenged. Uh, and since then, you know, we've sent both of those guys up. We're just receiving Hill back. Um, just it's you know, we're I think as an organization, we're going to do what it takes to win this year, and that that's great. And Matt Boyd got a taste of Double A and uh, found out some things he needed to work on. Because uh, every time you get to a level where you're maybe uh, overmatched at times or something like that, your weakness is exposed. Uh, he found out his fastball command wasn't as sharp as what he thought. Guys don't chase the breaking balls like they do in A ball, and maybe they're doing that now. But he knows that he's got to have his fastball command and control his delivery uh, when he's down there. And I'm glad to see that he's doing well again. He's been here. He's had a couple of real good games for us, and uh, he'll make it back sometime. Yeah, I mean, just carrying on with that, 
I mean, I was sure, you look at the stats of Daniel Norris in, in A-ball this year, I was positive he was going to end up in New Hampshire, but, you know, like you just said, with some of the guys you brought in, there may not be a spot for him. Um, you know, you had him before. You also had Taylor Cole for a couple of years in Vancouver, and, and he's doing fantastic in, in Dunedin this year. And the, the one thing that really stands out is how many bats he's missing, which isn't, you know, something I think is... His career best before this year was 7.7 Ks per nine. You know his repeat year in Vancouver. I, I know you probably haven't seen much of him. You didn't. You were with the AAA team in spring training. But what have you heard of, of Taylor? I've heard he's added a slider. Did he? Did he have a slider when he was in Vancouver, or is that something? Yeah, he's, he's, all his pitches are the same as he had before. Uh, it's the style of pitching that he is trying to learn. Uh, that, that started in Vancouver his second year. His first year, he was kind of uh, nicked up through 100 innings after being two years off of playing baseball. Right. Very tough to do after his uh, mission trip. Uh, very tough, you know, 100 innings. And so uh, he came back the next year, and he, and he pitched well for us, but he, he kind of pitched backwards. He did not pitch with an aggressive fastball. He pitched more to throw his change up and slider and stuff like that to get guys out. And at that level, he's, you know, you're going to dominate those guys, no doubt about it. And he's going to do well the next year and, and stuff like that. But he had to adjust his his uh, mental programming because in college, everyone throws all breaking balls. Very few guys are basketball-oriented pitchers. And to get to the major leagues, you have to be able to command your fastball. And how do you command it? You just got to throw it. You got to trust it. You got to know the movement of it. And uh, I think for the last couple of years, she is starting to turn that corner. And hopefully this year, it's really doing well uh, that he is pitching off to his fastball instead of it being afraid of getting hit. So he gets ahead with his fastball and puts guys away with his other stuff, which tends to be now a lot more strikeouts. Right. Have you heard um have you heard anything similar about about Norris? Is that what he's been he's been using as well? I mean, I know mechanically he had some issues when he was in Vancouver. He, he seems to have straightened that out. Um how much uh, Daniel Norris has always had outstanding stuff. I don't, I don't remember not even seeing him one time where he didn't say, Oh man, how's that gonna work? <laughs> no, he's he's got Great stuff. Uh, it was definitely mechanical. Uh, him uh, trying to overthrow at times, stuff like that. Uh, I'm sure uh, the way he's dominating teams down there right now is that he's he's under control of his delivery, uh, repeating his pitches very well, and doing everything he can to get out of there. And that's great. That's you know that that's why we gave him all that money. <laughs> One actually, uh, when we spoke before, you said the biggest jump was from from A plus to to double A. Um, you know, where we turn our house. And we're often going to see, you know, some of these younger kids maybe struggle like like Matt did when he got to double A. One one question I had for you: Is there a big difference? You know, sort of. I guess the technical term is park factor. You always hear about the humidity in Florida and and the bigger parks that they're playing in because they're playing in the spring training homes. Does that make a difference? You know, like like are we looking at their lines and getting fooled a bit by how how well they're pitching down there? You know, it, it's it's interesting. I've never I've never been in a 
Florida State League. I've, uh, I've watched a couple of games over there at Sunny Stadium. Uh, the only way you can kind of say that it's a pitcher's league is if you look at the numbers of everybody, but then also look at the hitters' numbers. There's been some hitters that had very good years in that league, and how many guys are hitting over 300 and stuff. Uh, but, you know, a different atmosphere. I think it's just the, the thought process of the hitters when they get double-A. They slow the game down a little bit. They start playing the chess match. They're figuring out the pitcher's strengths, uh, what's his go-to pitches, what's his tendencies. In A-ball, you should pretty much just go and throw and, and do whatever you're going to do. And guys aren't going to try and have a game plan against you. And your stuff is just better than they are. A few do, and those few are the better hitters in the league, and and, and they do well. Uh, but in this, in double-A, it's almost like everybody who is in double-A was a prospect or some sort of something in A-ball. They did well. It's, it's tough to make that jump, and the guys who do make the jump, uh, if they don't hit, then they're phenomenally gifted with the glove. But uh, everyone else can hit, and they have game plans, and you know, that order is not just getting the two through five out, it's one through eight now. Um, quick one on, uh, you were probably the first one in the, uh, the Blue Jays organization to get your hands on, on Marcus Stroman. Looked very good again last night. What were your initial impressions of him back in stays up and and it works out well for him um speaking of hard workers um last time we spoke you said aaron sanchez was one of the hardest workers that you've got right now um you know just from the stat line his last start looks a lot better than his previous you know four or five where he struggled quite a bit especially with his command was he doing anything different did he see anything different or was it just a case of he was throwing the ball a bit better Starts. He had uh, he had one where he gave up six. 
six runs in in Binghamton. Yeah. And it may be it may have been the best she's thrown all year. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. So it's it's very deceiving because I was watching the, I was watching the big league game the other day and the Blue Jays beat up on Justin Verlander. If you could beat up on Justin Verlander, right? Yeah. And we scored six runs on him. And Verlander was very good that day, but he gave up six runs. So, you know, it's not always numbers that I'm looking for. It's, was he competing? Was he making pitches? How were we, how were they getting their runs? They hit a couple of, they hit, they had a three run innings and two of them were ground ball that should have been made. Uh, one was actually, that he deflected, it was an easy double play for our second baseman. But his instincts was to get his glove out there, and he knocked it away from the second baseman. Just some some weird things. But his pitches, the quality of his pitches, uh, the quality of his fastball command, which we've been talking about, was much better, that one. And it's getting better every time. And I think with him, maybe it's just, uh, he's just, he's, he's trying to, Eliminate all of his distractions away from the field, all the distractions of, you know, him being a top prospect. Right. Uh, that, uh, and, and he's starting to handle it. I mean, he's still just 21 years old. He's a young kid and uh, put a lot of pressure on himself. But I think he's starting to turn that corner a little bit and just starting to focus on exactly what his game plan and what he's got to do to be successful and that just getting back to in the baseball where he wants and his stuff is electric and he'll hopefully continues to grow just a, a quick question on in the off season when he went he did his AFL stint um, there was a lot of kind of buzz over the internet that his delivery had gotten a bit more upright he wasn't dropping and driving as much as he had before you know being quite a tall guy you would have, I would have thought that you'd want to use those legs as much as possible where is he now? Is he, has he found a sort of a consistent drop point in his delivery, or is he still sort of work tinkering with things mechanically, you know, with you to try and get on top of his fastball a bit better? Well, we're trying to trying to get him to stay back just a little bit longer. He's got a up tempo rhythm, and sometimes when his tempo gets too fast, he starts getting ahead of himself. And so what we have been doing is trying to get him to skip back and drive maybe a little bit more off that back leg. Uh, but his arm works so quick, and it's, and it's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's a very, very blessed arm to have because, I mean, it works so clean and so quick that he, he can make up for a lot of things on a given pitch. Consistently, uh, he is not you know, repeating the delivery, but what we want. But the up-tempo that he had in spring training, when everything was locked in, uh, that's what we're trying to get. And, and he's getting closer. Uh, the rhythm's getting better. His tempo's getting better. Uh, and that's, and then bringing his quality of pitches up, too. Excellent. Speaking of, of quality of pitches, um, Deck McGuire had another great start in AAA the other day with 10 Ks over seven innings, I think it was. I mean, he's never really been known as a, as a strikeout pitcher. What what do you think's different this year? You know, is it just a, is his stuff improving, or is it just a case of him, you know, controlling the zone a bit better? Uh, I'd like to say I had something to do with it. <laughs> well, of course, I should have said that. <laughs> no, no, but, but we talked, 
And, uh, and Dick, Dick came to me uh, like a couple of weeks before he got, got up, and I was asking him questions because that's what pitching coaches do. And I asked him, what's different between this year than the other years? Because I was thinking, okay, this is his fourth year in the, year in the league. He's not intimidated by anybody. He's been through it, you know, full seasons. Uh, so uh, he said he, he went about getting ready in spring training differently this year than he had in the past. In the past, he was working on just getting his best stuff as hard as he could throw and everything like that, and he wasn't working on command. And so he started every year getting hit around because his command wasn't there. So this year, he came into spring training and said, all I'm worried about is throwing the ball where I want and then slowly adding on to that, adding on stuff, velocity, uh, sharper break and stuff. And, and you know, I mean, it's it turned out he is put himself back on the map, I, I would say, or, you know, what, back on the map in the first rounder, so. Oh, but I think, uh, I think saying that, you're right, I mean. In the mix. For sure. Which uh, would be great. I'd, I'd love to see that get called up, because he, you know, he brings a little bit of a different energy than Mr. Strowman, but it's, uh, it's a quirkiness, and it, and it fits on a team, a great, you know, teammate to have. Um, that actually seg- segs well into a question I wanted to ask you. I mean, after three years in Vancouver, we talked about the jump between sort of high A and double A. You know, this is quite quite a gap for you coaching-wise. I mean, how has it been different from going from younger, sort of more raw kids in, in Vancouver to, I guess, you, I mean, Aaron's still a bit raw, so you're going to have some prospects there, but you've also got the older guys, like you mentioned, Lidham is, is 31 and pitched in Korea for three years. What's... How do, how do you approach your job differently in, in New Hampshire? Well, it's, it's a different job. And I think, you know, I was, I was fortunate enough to play in five different seasons in AAA and five different seasons in AA. So, I mean, my playing days, you know, most of them were spent at the higher levels at this level. And that, that probably gets me more accustomed to what they're thinking at times even though that's a new generation, uh, you know, I, I think I'm old school, but, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and, and just working with these guys on, for me, the difference has been is at the lower level, it's teaching a player, a Cole Taylor, a young Justin Nicolino, a Aaron Sanchez, or even, uh, Eric Sikula, those kind of guys, Teach them what it takes to become a professional baseball player. The high school and college days are over. Now you're transitioning to how to act, dress, uh, how your bullpens are supposed to be done, how your weightlifting, your food regimen, everything like that is now with the, at the, the foundation of what we're going to build level. Right. Uh, at this level, uh, I don't have to worry about them lifting weights. I don't have to worry about what they eat. I don't have to worry about too much so as what their their pregame plan, uh, pitching routines and stuff like that. We tweak those things, uh, but they should have something in place. And and uh, some of the older guys, it's just kind of hands-off and, I'm there, I'm an ear for them. If they come to me and say, hey, what do you think? Then I'll give them my input. Uh, but I don't 
I don't force anything upon them. Uh, we talk about maybe things that might benefit them in the long run. What I see, what this, uh, pitch selection, stuff like that. Uh, more of game type things where I am trying to get their thought process to make sure it's right. Because even, even some of these guys, their thought process of a certain pitch, uh, is not correct and, and we've got to discuss that kind of stuff. At the lower levels, it's not so much that there, it's the foundation work that's the most important. Right, okay. Um, Lastly, I know you're not a, a doctor, so you, you won't have a, an idea as to why it's happening, but the Jays just drafted a guy that has already undergone his, his Tommy John. Um, Clinton Holland's about to do it, or has done it. I've heard rumors that Tom Robson is going to have to get it done. Um, obviously, Roberto Asuno is, is hopefully on his way back. Organizationally, is, is there, you know, have they... Have they asked you guys to sort of look out for certain red flags, or is there anything different going on with the rash of Tommy John surgeries? Not only in, you know in Toronto system, but throughout the major leagues and minor leagues. You know, is have they have they has anything changed to try and prevent or or catch it early or or anything like that? Uh, well, there's with all the pitch counts and the, the stuff that we're trying to do to to make sure. Uh, our training staff does an outstanding job of getting their hands on guys so we can find out what the deficiency is early enough. Uh, but I tell you what, I, I don't have his phone number, but a Dr. Andrews in, in Alabama, <laughs> he would be one to, to talk to about it because it's, it's, it's not a professional problem. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a before even high school program. It's these year round. You know, mom and dads who are taking their kids out year-round throwing baseballs and stuff like that. There's there's no rest time for these guys. And, and you know, I mean, there's puts a lot of strain on, on, their, on their arm, elbow, and, and everything else. And, you know, uh, colleges, you know, you, you read about it. I don't know. I, I remember seeing it in the USA Today. If you, some kid to 175 pitches in a game. Yeah, some you know, of the coaches uh, in college are, are going above and beyond, for sure. Well, because as a college, they don't care. They yeah. don't care about his future. They care if he wins or not now. Yeah. And, you know, you, you can, if you're a college coach, then, you know, your job is about wins. So you're going to use your assets to win. Forget tomorrow, win today. Right. Uh, but with us, as professionals... We're looking out for tomorrow, so we got to protect today. And uh, health is, is big, and, and Tommy John now is is you know common. Um, and now that our trainers and our strength guys have kind of a template of how to get a guy back better and stronger, uh, you know, people aren't so much afraid of someone with Tommy John, and so we take a first rounder that has Tommy John knowing that we're going to be able to build him up and know what he had before, and it could be that good or even better, uh, you know, take a chance. Yeah, and speaking of that, I've, I just remembered something. You, we talked last year, and I think there was 10 guys that were piloting the uh, the weighted ball program and with a view to kind of moving it across the entire minor league pitching staff. Is that is that the case? Has that happened? Uh, yeah, we've got, we've got five or six guys here. Uh, doing the weighted ball program, 
Uh, I'm not sure if it, from my angle, from, from where I sit back and watch you guys do it, uh, I don't I don't see a whole lot of velocity improvements. Right. Uh, there may be velocity consistency, but what I do see, and probably is by far very much the most valuable part of this program, is, is that guys bounce back faster. They don't have as sore as arm as they used to when they're doing this program. And so when you can do that, then you can go ahead and you're not, you know, you're not as a reliever, you're not as sore, so you don't throw as hard that day until you're, you know, the soreness gets out of there faster and, and these guys uh, are able to bounce back a lot quicker. Okay. Well, that's, that's positive, definitely. Um, and I know I said lastly a couple questions ago, but one more. Um, I think Dunedin must be coming up to their their all-star break pretty soon, which is sort of when you might see a bit of a reshuffle. I don't know if you're in on any of the conversations, but do you expect seeing any of the, the younger guys coming up? Daniel, Taylor, you know those names? Uh, I've you... seen a lot of shuffle already. Um, well, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, I, I haven't been able to keep track of all. I know Buffalo's had quite a few injuries, so there's been a lot of coming and going from there. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know what their plans are. That uh, Dane Johnson and Tony Latalba and Alex, they, they decide when those guys move up. Um, I just I just wouldn't. Well, I've got the, the 14 guys I got here right now, and these are the guys I got to work with. Right. And, uh, trying to get I don't know where they go. We shuffle and bring guys up. Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't see where there's a lot of guys on this roster that we go down. So if there's a Right. Okay. Well, I'll let you get back to shopping. Thanks very much for your time, Jim. I really appreciate it. Hi, right. right, John. And uh, yeah, good luck the next little while. Thanks a lot. Thank you. That was Charlie Kasky speaking to Jim Sykowski, pitching coach of the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. Now used to be the Vancouver Canadians, which is how we have the connection. <laughs> um, good interview with him. And then uh, now we're going to sort of transition into another interview. Most Most episodes I think we'll have you know, during the season, we'll have quite a few. I think with the players, we'll just play short little little clips um, as we do the re- we'll do a recap every week. Uh, I think of the of the team and and around the the Blue Jays minor league, um, all the different teams. Uh, one one of the interesting things I'll I'll do I maybe pick a, a player of the week. Uh, each of us can have one guy that we'll focus on. Maybe not in Vancouver, but elsewhere in the organization, um, and just sort of fo- bring that to focus. Um, but we'll also talk about the the Canadians and and how their week went and sort of splice in some interviews that way. Um, well, yeah, and I mean, the um, the media relations guys who are generally the, also the, the radio broadcasters <laughs> for the other teams, it's a multifaceted job, are usually quite good. So hopefully, hopefully we can get some ex-Canadians on the show mm-hmm. that, have, that have moved on to, you know, affiliates above, mm-hmm. above and beyond Vancouver. And also we'll have, you know, if it's a down week or whatever, or if we just want to have somebody on for an interview, uh, we have the phone capabilities, as you'll hear in this next interview I did with, um, handsome Monica, <laughs> and I, I wanted to sell this as we we had the biggest name in the draft on the show in our first week. <laughs> Maybe not as the best player available in the draft, but uh, he was uh, an internet celebrity this week, uh, topping the lists of the best names available in the draft. 
uh, alongside Fenway Parks. <laughs> and he, he actually talks a little smack uh, about Fenway Parks because, uh, as you'll hear, uh, he, he's, he's a legit handsome Monica. That's, that's his name. So. Oh, is Fenway more of a nickname? Uh, I'll, I'll let... I'll let uh, uh, I can't wait now. <laughs> I, I feel weird calling him handsome. You know? <laughs> I'll let handsome tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but, You're so handsome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, he's he's a he's a good kid. You can tell from the interview. You know he's got a good head on his shoulders. Unfortunately, it's kind of kind of sad because he did the interview on Friday. I everyone thought for sure he was going to get taken, um, but he ended up going undrafted, um, and not not because of his talent. Um, yeah, he's a he's a good hitter. Um, well, yeah, like you said earlier, he um, you know it's it's a bit silly that he didn't get drafted. But it, as if he's going to Arizona State, that's a launching pad for hitters. You mm-hmm. know, I think. Ex-Vancouver Canadian, I'm, if I've got this right, Jordan Leland came out of Arizona State. He actually transferred there, and that's where he had his massive senior season. He yeah. got drafted. So if if he has three big years there, he'll get drafted. He's he's known as a good hitter. He probably won't see as a catcher, but he probably won't stick behind the plate. He's going to play in the infield somewhere, maybe perhaps the outfield. Um, but he's known as a hitter. And I, I think he's kind of the, one of those players on the bubble where, you know, do they take a shot at him or do they, you know, it, it's almost certain that he's going to take his education and go to, to Arizona. So why why would we bother taking a pick on him? So it sucks that you don't get drafted as an Someone drafted but, Johnny Manziel. I yeah. mean, you got, I don't know. It, I don't get the thinking behind it sometimes. Yeah, but. late round drafts are, are a little frustrating, but um, he's pretty certain that he's going to he's gonna get a good education wherever he goes. And um, yeah, he's, he's an easy guy to talk to. So from the interview, he's a, he's a pretty good pretty good guy to talk to. So let's uh, let's get to that. It's uh, Handsome Monica, um, MLB prospect. I guess you could still consider him an MLB prospect coming up for whenever he uh, finishes his college career now. Maybe we um, can do that since it's such a new podcast. We can have a Handsome Monica segment for a minute, <laughs> an update, how he's doing at, at AZU. Maybe not week Arizona to week. State, whatever it is next <laughs> Maybe not, not every, week to week. You're right. <laughs> Maybe next year we'll check in on him. There so we'll, we'll see Sounds how he's good. doing. I, I honestly, personally, I hope he he does well wherever he goes. But uh, uh, we'll we'll get to the interview. You can you can listen to it now. It's my interview with Handsome Monica. Uh, now is going to be Arizona State. I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, a great night down here in Louisiana. Uh, a little bit of a frustrating day as I haven't been drafted yet, but uh, but I'm feeling great. I'm excited. Yeah, let's let's get started with the name. I guess it's it's hard for people to get past it. I guess uh, it's the first thing we got to talk about. Is it a nickname or, or what's the story behind it? Uh, it's got a little bit of a story behind it. It's not a great story. Um, it started off as a nickname. So legally, my first name was Donald Ray. So when when I was born, my first name or my my full name was Donald Ray Monica. And Donald Ray comes after my my dad's dad and his grandpa. Okay. And um, my mom, she just she just didn't care for that name <laughs> at all. So she's like, I'm not gonna call him that. I'm gonna call him Handsome because he's a handsome kid. I, I I guess I was handsome when I was little. I don't know. Um, so it always stuck as a nickname. And then as I grew up, that's what all my friends called me. That's what everyone called me. Mm-hmm. And then when I was about 14. I was at a school and they were like, we're not going to call you by your nickname. We got to call you by your first name. My parents were like, you know what? Everyone calls him handsome. Let's just make the change. Let's do it. So on my, so we went in and they made my legal name handsome. So legally I, my name is handsome. Wow. And then they changed, they made my middle name in three K, which is after my mom's side. Mm-hmm. We get that from, I get that from my mom's uh, dad and uh, we kept Ray. As my as my middle name too. So legally, my middle name is 
Enrique Ray and Monica. So legally right now, I'm handsome Enrique Ray Monica. <laughs> well, it's funny because I, I guess that now that it's legal, you, you have to go by it. And, and it's not like a guy in the majors now, like Coco Crisp, where that's just a nickname. And this this is your uh-huh. legal name now. You you are handsome. That's that's your name. <laughs> that, yeah, it is. And I've been seeing on Twitter, you know, people have been saying, you know, the best name handsome Monica in Fenway Park. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was reading. I don't think I don't think Fenway's his first name. No, like, legally, I think it's like Kyle. He's an imposter. He's not a real interesting. Name. <laughs> <laughs> so people ask me all the time, "Is that the real name?" I'm like, legally, on my on my driver's license, on my birth certificate, nice. my first name is Han. <laughs> and you wear it proudly. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you actually, what what is your other? Like, we've seen the lists around Twitter of people listing all the the best names in this draft. Do you have any other favorites, or are, do you think you're the best one? I don't know. I've seen you at the top of a lot of lists. Um, well, you know what? I'll be honest. I really do like the Joey Pancake. It, it's just <laughs> funny. That's just a really funny name to me, having the last name Pancake. It doesn't get much better than that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I, I mean, I really, I think I got the best name. I guess it's really, it's unique. It's different. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and I, every time someone says, what's your name? I'm like, handsome. They're like, Hanson? I'm like, no, handsome. <laughs> And they're like, oh, without an E, no E at the end? I'm like, no, just like the adjective. I got to nice. say, just like the adjective. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I'd say I got the best name. It, it would have been cooler to have a, a, a last name that kind of r- rolled into, like, handsome, <laughs> like, something else other than Monica, but, you know. What well, kind of plays, I guess. You know, they got the two sides, handsome, and then sort of a feminine girl's name, right? It, it works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it goes. Yeah. <laughs> You've been retweeting a lot. Yeah. You've been really active the the past day or so on Twitter. Uh, you retweeted one of my tweets. That's how I found you here on Twitter. And uh, I guess you've just been kind of just living it. Just as you've seen your name popping up, and you're you're just having fun with it now, or what? Well, I'll be honest. I get a, uh, people always like like why? Do you, how do you find this stuff and stuff? I'm like, well, I go on Twitter and I name search myself. Yeah. You know, like that's kind of weird. I'm like, I'm like, I just like to see what people kind of what kind of things people are saying, <laughs> and then. And I know I'm not big and famous yet or anything. I mean, I'm going to try to be. But, you know, I see, like, Jose Bautista and people like that. And, like, even Richard Sherman, people, when they, like, they'll respond to their fans. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, like, the coolest thing ever. Yeah. And I'm like, I I like people who are interactive like that. So so I'll name search myself and then I see what people are saying. I'll I'll retweet it, you know, if I like it. Sometimes (laughs) people will say some pretty hurtful things. So I'm like, I won't retweet that. (laughs) No. But. Well, yeah, I think it's cool. So. Yeah, if people do want to find you on on Twitter, you're handsome O V O on on Twitter. So if they are looking for yeah, you, sure. that's where they can find you. And it's good. I'm I'm glad because we wouldn't have this interview if you if you weren't doing that on Twitter. So that's uh, yes, sir. <laughs> good job by you. Um, well, th- <laughs> let's talk about you as a as a player for a little bit too. You know, get the name stuff out of the way. There's been a lot of pressure for it, it, there is a lot of pressure in draft years for for players, whether you're in high school or your last year of college. How do you think you handled it as a as a senior? You went to St. Paul's High School, and do you, do you think you you did well under the pressure, knowing that the scouts were looking at you? Yeah, I knew I knew, especially in my senior year, was going to be the year where there'd be scouts there watching. Mm-hmm. You know, right before the draft, that was going to be their final thing in their head. What I was doing, you know, during the school year, and I had a lot of pressure on me, but. I fought through it. I, I played my game. I gave it all to God. You know, that's, that was my number one thing. And my cousin, uh, Nicholas, who actually lives in Tucson, where I'm headed uh, mm-hmm. in a few months, he actually he wrote this letter to me, and it 
just about giving it all to God and letting it fall in his hands. And, you know, that's what I started to do. Mm-hmm. And it just helped me, it just helped me play the game. I know how to play. And, um, you know, and I do get nervous around scouts, but as long <laughs> as I know, as long as I know what I'm doing and what I'm capable, capable of doing, right. then I'll be fine out on the field, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, you played a little bit of everything. You did mostly catcher, but you also played some third base and outfield. It looks like. Yes. Um, well, it's funny because a lot of a lot of um, websites and stuff have me listed as catcher slash slash first base. Okay. And I'm like, I haven't played first base since <laughs> like I was ten when I was the biggest kid on the field. Yeah. Um, I do play a little bit of third base uh, and right field. So. Okay. Where do you see yourself sticking? Are you, you see yourself as a catcher mostly? Uh, people have asked like. Uh, you, should we move him? Do you think he'll stay? Honestly, I I love the catching position. Mm-hmm. I don't want to I don't want to move from there. Mm-hmm. But you know, if if people feel like I should because of my stick, if I should move somewhere else or something, you know, that that's mm-hmm. whatever. I'll I'll do what I got to do to get the job done. Mm-hmm. But I like I personally I love catching. I've been doing it for a lot of years, and I most likely I I, I like it because I'm in every play. I'm constantly doing something. Mm-hmm. And when I go play outfield or something like that, I'm just like sitting there. I'm like, <laughs> what's there to do out here? Yeah. Well, it's good to be versatile. Like uh, we look at the Blue Jays here, you see Jose Bautista. He plays all over the place. He can play a little first. He plays third base. You know, a lot of the time, mm-hmm. but mostly he's an outfielder. And a guy like Brett Laurie, he was drafted as a catcher. He came up for most of his young years as a catcher. And look how good he is in the field now. Right. So you can really keep your options exactly. open. Exactly. That's good. Exactly. Um, the other thing on the scouting reports that I know is a lot of guys, they, they, the thing that kept popping up was that you're a high energy guy. Uh, you have a lot of power, but the high energy stuff seemed to, to come through in a lot of different scouting reports. Is that, you know, do you see yourself as that being the, the biggest thing that you can contribute to the team is your, is your high energy and your, your up tempo <laughs> ability, or is that something you do consciously or what? I'll be honest that I feel like that's one of the most important parts of my game, mm-hmm. uh, especially, especially behind the plate. Um, any team I'm on doesn't matter. I could be on a team with big leaders right now. I'm going to try to be the leader. I'm going to try to be vocal. I want people to follow my lead. I'm always going to be positive, mm-hmm. and that's what I feel is one of the best aspects of my game is just showing a lot of intensity. You know, I've been playing this game my whole life. Every game I play, I want to be there. I'm not going to be moaning or something if I strike out because I got another AB coming up, and I don't want my teammates seeing me and being like, oh, well, he's, he's mad, he's upset, mm-hmm. we're going to be the same way. Because I know people look up to me, and I know people will do whatever I do kind of in a way. So it's a, it's, a, it's a leadership thing, you know, and I, I, keep, I keep the intensity. I like, I, like, I, I like intensity, you know. I, can't, I don't know what else to say, you know. It's the one thing you can control, right, whether you strike out or not. You know, if your attitude is good, then it's one thing that you have full control over. Exactly. Exactly. And, and honestly, like I've been doing, I've been doing this for the last year, and it's always it's just something I do, and I don't know why. I will every time I go up to the plate, I tell myself smile, <laughs> smile, because you never know if it's going to be your last AB or not. No matter what happens, you control it. So go up there with a smile on your face, and it may piss the pitcher off a little bit. He may think, "Oh, he's being arrogant with that smile on his face." But honestly, it just helps me relax and know that I'm going to have another A-B after this. And 
you know, just, just have a good time with it, whatever happens. It's a good way to go about it. <laughs> so now that now that the draft is two days old and you're, you're still looking for a team, are you, are you more nervous or are you just anxious about finding what team is, is going to gonna take a shot at you? Uh, I'm just, I'm a little more nervous than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in my, in my situation personally, I, I, I have no problem with going to college whatsoever. Yeah. Um, but you know, the MLB has always been a lifelong dream and it's uh, it feels like the, the opportunity is right here in my hands, ready for me to just grasp it. But, you know, it's just, mm-hmm. then again, it's so far away and it's like, it's just a, it's just nerve wracking, you know. Just I've been anxious all day, and you know things haven't gone my way. But you know, I've said rosary. I I pray to God. I just I just give it to Him, and then whatever happens, happens. Mm-hmm. Well, either, either way, whatever happens, you know. I hope uh, from my standpoint, I hope the Blue Jays take a shot at you. But uh, if you end up going to Arizona <laughs> next year, good luck. Uh, you're you're probably gonna have a good year no matter what happens. So uh, uh, congratulations on even being in the discussion for for the draft. I hope to see your name get called in the next next day here. So do I, so do I. I appreciate it very much. And there you go. That was Handsome Monica with, uh, with myself, and that was recorded on Friday. So unfortunately, uh, we know now that he did not get selected for the draft. But he still uh, sounds very handsome, so <laughs> he's, he's got that. Guy. He's a good guy. Yeah. I, I, I'll leave it at that. He's, you know, I'm glad we had him on. So that was uh, you know, a bit of an internet celebrity moment. But uh, we'll, we'll try to you know, have interviews like that um, you know, throughout the, the year, um, you know, it might be you over the phone occasionally if you can't make it in the studio, Charlie. If yep. uh, you know if that comes down to it, we could have you over the phone, or um, you know if you're in studio, we could have another guest over the phone that we can both talk to. So it's uh, it's a, a good thing, and I'm I'm sure with our you know our connections, uh, we can we can bring in some interesting guests. So I hope you stay tuned for the the Your Van Seas Weekly. Um, and it kind of snuck up on me, but there there's going to be games by the next podcast. They are uh, Vancouver Canadian season begins not here in Vancouver, but there will be games. There will be games. We will know the uh, the roster. Obviously, uh, Wednesday's media day out of the Nats mm. or Scotiabank Field. Um, but, uh, I mean, from what I can rec- recollect last year, there was only 20 names on that initial roster that they brought north from Dunedin um, and, like, six infielders or something like that. So the draft, once they start signing guys mm. and they'll start coming in, but it, yeah, there's going to be games. There's going to be a roster. There's going to be games Friday. They they they'll head to Salem Kaiser, whether it's Thursday night or whatever, and then back at the Nat for for the home opener, which I believe now is sold out versus Spokane on the following Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited because <laughs> my life is rather boring. Um, so <laughs> no way. Yeah, really. <laughs> Being a stay-at-home dad to two kids can get a bit sort of on top of you. So baseball is my outlet. So I'm really looking forward to this. Um, I'm looking forward to the press box pulled pork sandwiches and <laughs> and and heading down to the clubhouse after games to hopefully get us some good clips for the for the podcast and and all that all that goes with it. Mm-hmm. Well, you're you're gonna be more of the regular. I don't know how often I'm gonna be going, but I'm gonna try to go as much as I can. Uh, by the sounds of it, the home opener might be tough to get some credentials too. If you know, it's not, not really accommodating at that, they don't have a huge press box. No, <laughs> it's ridiculously small. So uh, yeah, I can't remember last year. But I think the home opener was was yeah, there was quite a few guys around, and then it it, it got a bit quiet until <laughs> playoff time. <laughs> I'd like to be a little more regular than that. So we'll see. There, it's a good opportunity for for both of us to sort of, you know, I understand you have your writing and and. Um, 
you have your hits on the team as well, where you'll be using a lot of your info that you get. But um, it's good to have a I think this podcast to have a, a focused um, you know outlet for that, that kind of stuff and um, you get a lot of good information that you wouldn't normally get for, you know out of a minor league franchise that we can get um, from these prospects. Uh, uh, definitely, if, if we can get some some tape from the prospects, I, I have to be honest. I don't like I'll interview prospects. So I did last year, but. I'm not a prototypical newspaper writer. I'm more of a blogger. I like to look mm-hmm. at more numbers than than get into their backstory of, mm-hmm. of how they became a baseball player. That's <laughs> that's for Elliot Papp and the other paid writers at the hey, Vancouver Sun. Don't be knocking my interview with Hanson Monica. No, man. sorry. <laughs> um, we keep it a little good mix here. We'll, we'll try ex- it. Exactly. So I think I think this this is a different forum for me, and and I think it'll be very interesting because I mean these. Some of these guys have some really, really fun stories. I remember interviewing Matt Hitt last year and, you know, just the roundabout way he, he got into pro baseball and, you know, Mike Reeves, the Canadian from who played for the Toronto Blue Jays out in Ontario before heading to the University of the Gulf Coast or Gulf Coast University in Florida. It was some really good stuff that sometimes I just can't transcribe properly into, <laughs> uh, into words. So should be very good. And I also like to make clear that most of the episodes will probably not be this long. Uh, <laughs> it is the the first episode and the episode directly following the, the draft, <laughs> which you don't get a draft every day. So that's uh, you know another reason why this one's a little bit extra long. We had you and Ross on for quite a while, which you wouldn't normally get the guest on for that long. I don't, I don't expect to at least no. throughout the year. I think, I mean, next week is going to be interesting because we'll have the roster. Right. So we'll, so we'll be able to go through the roster a bit more. And hopefully some audio from, from the media day as well. Yeah, like like I mentioned to you off air, if I can actually get a question in, we <laughs> should have some audio. Or I'll just be taping it. You'll be hearing everyone else's voices there you go. asking questions and then the answers. We'll see you ch- the moment where it clicks and you, you step in there. We'll I'll just talk yeah. over everybody. We'll, we'll, we'll recut <laughs> it after. This is what Charlie said. <laughs> All right, well, uh, we'll wrap things up now. It's uh, been a pleasure to, to start this up and I'm excited as the season rolls along, um, not just as a Blue Jays fan because the Blue Jays are doing well, but also because it's uh, a chance to cover the the game that we we all love here. I'm sure the listeners and and everyone here on the podcast. So um, thanks to you and Ross for coming in. Uh, Blue Jays Plus is where you can find him normally, um, and on Twitter at men at men talk m e n t o c h. Um, the other guest, handsome Monica and and Charlie. Thanks for coming on. You're going to be a regular contributor. I've decided that you will fully um, stay on for the podcast. So (laughs) congratulations. You have made the cut. You've made the roster. The Uh, audition went well. Thank you. (laughs) And yeah, Um, thanks to Jim, obviously for taking his time. Um, He was, you know, and yeah, sorry, I forgot about Jim. As he was walking through Bed Bath and Beyond or wherever he was (laughs) with his wife um, for taking the time to chat with me. Um, So that was great. And yeah, look forward to the rest of the season. Obviously, Hopefully, I mean, the weather last year was phenomenal. They didn't have a rain out all season, so hopefully we get something similar, and, and obviously hopefully the results are similar. All right, well, thanks for listening to the first ever episode of Your Van Seas Weekly. <laughs>